0: You'll be seated. We're going to go ahead and uh, do a prayer of hearts for prayer right now. Hope they got you going a little bit. If you weren't hot, now I know you're hot. So let's bow our heads together, family. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of being able to sing and uh, you connect us to our emotions in that way, Lord. Thank you for uh, the true words, Lord. Um, You being our rock and. Lord, thank you for being unchanging. We pray that we would learn more about you right now. Lord, we uh, we all, everyone here, uh, we desperately need to hear from you. We desperately need um, a reminder of the hope we have in Christ. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide this time. Lord, I confess in my flesh I want to make things happen. I want to be made much of. And Lord, I just confess that to you and pray that you will be made much of, Lord, that you would be the focus, that you would be the center, uh, that it would be clear that that you are you want your glory, and that we, by your grace, want to give it to you. Uh, so would you do that, Lord? Would you speak t- to me and through me? Uh, and would you motivate and encourage and minister to your people? In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the book of Exodus. We're back in the game. Uh, thanks for giving me a little time last week uh, to share a little bit about our sabbatical. Um, we, My family and I, we have been gone for about four months, and so we're back here now, which is exciting. And you guys gave us an opportunity to share like what our time was. Uh, right now, you're going to need some Bibles, because we are back in the Word as a local community. We uh, study books of the Bible, right? Um, you see Alex passing out uh, Bibles we're going to go through the Word, and what we do as a local community, because uh, we we don't want to be left into our own flesh, um, thinking that we we figured this thing out and just doing topics, and uh, but we really want to understand what God is saying through the whole canon of Scripture, through His whole counsel, and so one of the ways we can do that and fight against the flesh in that way is by parsing out books, and so that's what we do. Uh, if you look at go online, you can see uh, you can learn more about hopefully the book of John, Galatians, Colossians, I mean, go on and on. And we're, we're continually adding to uh, the deal. Right now we are in Exodus, um, specifically chapter 17. So when you grab a Bible, go ahead and look at chapter 17. That's where we'll be at. And we're really excited about our journey. We'll be here for a little a little longer, and then we'll move on uh, to another awesome book in the Scriptures. And our, my prayer is that we as a lo- local community will be able to have gone through every book Of the Bible in an expository fashion What that means is just understanding the meaning of the text And applying that meaning to our lives Uh, Matthew did a great job of of sharing Giving us a brief overview We had a little hiatus So I want to just kind of make sure we're understanding Exodus, the word meaning kind of departure Obviously written uh, Scholarships have an agreement There's some debate But Moses wrote the book Way back in the day uh, (laughs) Around 1600 B.C around that time, is that the time of what it's, uh, the time, that and maybe to 1490 or something like that is kind of the, the framework that is encompassing. Uh, the, the, the big theme is a couple of things, basically God's covenant uh, with the Hebrew nation, uh, the, that we get to see basically the mission of God, but also the, the, the desire for God to be known, right? This is a time where God is reminding uh, the people that they are his people, And that he's a a knowable God because he's revealed himself to us and he wants to be known and he wants to be glorified. And so a lot of the book, as it were, is, is, is I love, I love the scriptures in general because it's not like, oh, he wrote that then and now how do we apply this? But he has basically given us this beautiful canon, which is the Bible, to help us understand who he is so that when we go through our life, we go through our life with those that lens, those glasses on, right? So as it were, when we come in here, what we're doing is we're asking God to kind of take, you know, you go throughout the week and you ever, I don't wear glasses, but you know, you, sometimes your glasses get a little fuzzy. You got to clean them off. You go and you, you got to put in new contacts because the, old, the, the ones you had on are working right. Well, that's our lives, right? We, we go through life, and what happens is our mirror is all so clean, and then life kind of makes it mucky and you can't really see as well, and then what God wants you to do in that steady diet of being in His Word, being in prayer, being in an environment of the Holy Spirit, being with the people of God, is to keep cleaning your glass and cleaning my glass so that we can see clearly. Because the world wants us to see how the world wants us to see from its perspective, and God is saying, I want you to see from the true perspective. And that is so. so even this book here is God saying what does it look like for you to be my people and the way I'm going to help you understand that is by helping you understand who I am so to understand how to be God's people is really correlated to the fact of like first understanding who God is what he's about and then actually helps you understand who you are and what you are to be about as his children right so that's basically the nutshell of the scriptures but uh, So I gave all the, the secret sauce away, man. But that's what's going on in the Bible, and that's what's going on here. Um, it, in a nutshell, we have the slavery. In the beginning of the first chapter, we have the slavery and oppression of, e- of the Hebrews in Egypt. Uh, we see Moses born. This is what's going on in Exodus. This catches up. He gets, he also has education. He's this Hebrew among Hebrews. Uh, God d- draws him out of being down with Pharaoh, draws him out and says, I'm going to have you deliver my people who are in slavery. Uh, so Moses becomes this Hebrew deliverer, uh, which is a type of, of Jesus for the future. Uh, then we have Moses and Aaron approaching Pharaoh, saying, You need to let my people go uh, in, in chapters 4 through 11. Uh, Pharaoh's heart is hardened by God For God to show us that he is in control of all things Uh, The plagues of Egypt insist to show you how messed up we are When our hearts are are jacked up But at the same time how powerful God is And how he will get what he desires and what he wants for his honor uh, then God continues to, he delivers his people, then he continues to show his commitment to his people uh, in chapters 12 through 13, where he, display, he displays his commitment, uh, first by seeing his whole Passover, uh, we see the Exodus, him Sending his people and providentially p- caring for them. And then we see in chapters 14 and 15 uh, and 16, we see these different miracles that continue to show his providential hand and how, again, how he cares for his people. So, God, can you imagine? So you're sitting here, you're going, yeah, so who is God and what is he about? That's what the, that's what the book of Exodus is about. It's, about. it's about convincing you and me. Here's what God wants to do. He wants to build. He wants to instill. He wants to create faith. In you and me. That's what he wants to do. He, by God's grace, some of you believe in Jesus. Some of you believe that, that Yahweh, he is our Lord. And some of us are struggling. Some of us have the intellectual belief, but it's not showing itself in our practical life at all. And so what God wants to do is you're reading the word and you're seeing, oh, he protected his people. He, he cared for his people. He fed his people. He did all these things miraculously. is to, to build in you and me a passion in the heart of going, oh, so it is. It does make sense to serve that God. It does make sense to give my trust and my, and my confidence in that Lord. It does make sense that when I'm struggling to not just defend, to think about my own needs and what I need to do, but to give them over to God and trust that he is a protector of all. That's what he's trying to do here. So when you see the Red Sea parting, right, that's not just a, a cool thing you see, you know, every year on, on, on ABC. That's, that's a real deal. That historically happened so that you and I will go, oh, my goodness, God is that committed to his glory and that committed to the protection of his people that he, en- he entered into humanity and said, I'm going to part the Red Sea and do something supernatural to show you my love and my commitment. And he continues to do that. He destroys the, the Egyptian army. Right? You think, oh my goodness, that should build faith. He, he takes them to Mount Sinai. He talks to them. He hangs out with them. That should build faith. They're hungry. He gives them manna. That should build faith. Right? He takes water. They're thirsty. And he allows water to come out of a rock. Out of a rock. That should build faith. God wants to do something right now. So the big journey here and the struggle right now is you're sitting there and I'm I'm talking. It's that that struggle of like, okay, man, I I want to believe that. But Satan's like, oh, man, don't believe that. Go ahead. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Do your thing. Be your own God. That's the struggle. I just want to expose it so that we will battle it. That's the struggle daily and even right now. So he continues on. He says, well, you're not convinced yet. Let me give you another story of what I did. Because think about it, he did all this in history to these people, and right after what do we see? We see them going, can God really take care of us? Does God really love us? Moses, why are you doing this to us? Blaming Moses, frustrated, not they're doubting God. Why does God show you and me that? So that we'll understand we're in good company. That when you doubt God, because you do, be real Christians, right? When you doubt God God says I'm not I can take it but I want to keep reminding you don't you're missing your blessing so we enter into this beautiful narrative in Exodus 17 and look what happens guys don't miss this turn and get the chapter uh, go to chapter 17 verse 8 he just fed a manna water out of a rock all these things have happened and now we have Amalek, verse 8. So they're in the wilderness, they're doing their thing, God has delivered them, they're walking, they're kicking it. Things are finally, you know, on the up and up, and all of a sudden, they get attacked. It says, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at rephidim right? So this is, like, people knew who this guy was, right? Actually, Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Right, and so so this actually is gonna become a, a long-term battle that you're gonna see throughout the old testament. Now, now don't now look at what God is trying to remember. He's trying to paint a picture for you and me, because he again, by God's grace, he could leave us to our own foolishness, but he wants to build faith because he wants to be known by you. So what he does, he he paints this picture so that he can maximize his glory. And look look what he does, he takes this group, the Amalek, right, the Amalekites. And this is a group that have been banished off for a while. They were one of the first nations. I think the address you can check out is in Genesis 36. Read that. And it lets you know they became a, one of the first nations. So they were a group of people before a lot of others. And they learned how to hunt and do a lot of things, right? And what they would usually do, the way they got their livelihood, is they would just bum rush people when they were on the, when different nations, when they were kind of weak or when, they, or when they were suspect. They would kind of bum rush them. So they, they got a reputation for knowing how to fight. Right? And taking care of themselves. So it's that group. So God, God's painting this very interesting picture. It's this group who understands how to do battle, they understand how to ambush people, right? And they're, and they're, as it were, kind of enemies of these guys that we're going to see throughout the Old Testament. They live by attacking other populations. Judges chapter 3, write that down and check it out, okay? And check out what Deuteronomy says in, um, in, in chapter 25. We have it up here. Look what it says. It gives you a little snapshot. And this is why you want to do the whole counsel of God. So if you're reading a passage and you're like, what's going on there? Is that? Is, that, is that anywhere else in the Bible? Have Bibles with cross-references. So you can go to other passages and see if, there's, if, there, if it accents more of the meaning. And so you see some aspects here that the author leaves out in Exodus. But here's, here's what's happening. It says, remember when Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. We're talking about this time right here in Exodus 17. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint. Now check that out. It didn't tell you all this part, right? So you see how, how they, try to, they try to wait until they was slipping, right? So you attack them while they're faint and weary and cut off your tail. So that means they basically attack the people who are in the back, right? They grab, they grab all the, the weak sheep, as it were, right? And there's a principle there, y'all. There's a principle there. It's not a, it's, I, can't go th- I can't go super theological on you, but I think there's a principle about how Satan does that. Do we see that in the local church? Right. We need to protect our people. He's sneaky. And what will he do? He attacks the weakest of us many times. Right. And he tried to turn us against each other. This is, a, this is some tricky stuff. Right. But look what he does. So he says those who are lagging behind you and he did not fear God. Now, don't miss that. Now, if you if you go to that passage, circle that part. And he did not fear God. Those people, that people group. That's really important there. Therefore, when the, when, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all of your enemies around you in the land that your Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of the Amalek from under the heaven. You shall never, you shall not forget. So this is what's happening here. So these guys, the, Amalek, the Amalekites, they attack the weakest, the faint, the tired, right? And also they're very arrogant. Why do we say they're arrogant? Because the passage there, which I'm proposing to you, Let me just just, just put it out here right now. The main reason why God beat down the Amalekites is not simply because they attacked Israel. I want to propose the main reasons is because they didn't fear God. I want to propose to you that he thought, well, hold up, you can attack people, but you don't know who I am? Now we got a serious problem. I'll prove it in a moment. So you got this group, big and bad. They, 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 are bullies. They pray, they pray on the weak. They don't fear God. Verse nine. So Moses said to Joshua, we're in verse nine. Now we're back in Exodus 17. Joshua, I want you to do some choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow, right? Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So we have a couple first here, right? This is the first time that actually Joshua appears in a narrative in the Bible. So, we're introduced to this new character who we all know is one of our patriarchs. We're introduced to Joshua, this awesome fighter. Now, it's interesting, you don't see it here in the text, but he at some point had to be kind of like a military dude and probably, you know, as they're walking, kind of trying to trade people here and there, you know. But I mean, what, what was he training? I mean, he had a bunch of slaves. Alright, and they ran out of Egypt. So, they didn't have all the machetes and all, you know, they didn't have like, you know, cape, you know, like, you know, dope man Uzis and sawed off shotguns and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't have weapons, right? They probably had a few weapons, but they probably made them all along the way while they're in the wilderness. Now, now think of that family. I want you to keep thinking in history. So, you got this weak group, actual slaves. They're not eating like, they're, they're, God's provided for them, but it's not five course meals. They don't have many things And they're not even prepared well militarily Okay This is the picture So those guys He says He says Joshua You probably my my, my my most courageous bro Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill Staff a guy in my hand I need you to go out and find some guys So first Joshua appears in the story First time This is actually the first mention of the Amalekites as a group Okay They'll be mentioned a lot throughout, but this is the first mention. And guess what? Did you notice? This is the first battle that Israel gets into. Right? Now keep in mind, they've been in other battles, but they never fought. God always fought them. You notice that? God is like, chill out. You just going on to the side. I got this. This is the first one where you see some sense of God's sovereignty, which we'll talk about in a moment, and man's responsibility. Where God is like, I will fight for you, but you got to fight. Don't miss that. Why does God do that? We'll talk about that in a moment as well. So we have a few firsts here. And he says, choose for us men, which I'm proposing. is not a sense of the, the author. I, I bring this up because the NIV, if you have an NIV, even the ESV, I think can mess this up. When it says it like that, you might perceive that he's saying, hey, look at all these people you can choose from. Just take your pick of an awesome army. That's, it's actually the opposite. Is actually, man, all right, find some people. I mean, you got to find somebody who can help us fight. So you choose us some men out of this group. And so in, in, Joshua, you know, in Joshua's mind, he's thinking, okay, well, whatever, what are our normal regulations? Well, if you're from 20 to 50, you know what I'm saying, you might, we're going to probably ask you to come fight. And so he goes and tries to find a few of these guys. And guess what? They had about a day for battle, right? Because it says that the Milakites came from behind, and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, find some guys, and then we're going to go fight a war in a day. Are you all feeling Are you understanding? We're going to prepare the war. Now, guess what? And and I always get in trouble because my my, my elders always say I always have violent analogies because of my past. But, hey, it is what it is. I hope God is glorified through it. I just know that when we used to beat people up And when we used to jump people If, you, if we were going to jump you We had the upper hand because we've been thinking about it You understand that? We've been thinking about how we want to get you Where we're going to get you What we need to get you Okay? So let me just propose to you This was on their W-2 form They knew how to fight people This is how they made their nation This is how they built their livelihood I'm building this up for a reason Because I want you to see the power of God in this and how God is very intentional about even who the the fights he picked. He's like, you know what? No, that was too easy. I want to pick one that just seems stupid so that everybody can go, you won that one? You see what I'm saying? And so you had a day for battle. And before I even continue, let me just even help you understand something. When God fights the battle, clearly um, in in Old Testament, uh, in, in, we, we, as we talk about antiquity, it's called a holy war. And let me just give you even the, the framework of a holy war. I can't go through all the all the pieces, but I'm going to give you the, the quick. There's a quick brief, brief overview of of how God sets up what He proposes a holy war. Okay, which basically means that God is fighting for Israel. Okay, um, here's kind of the supplemental aspects or the concepts that usually accompany a holy war. First and foremost. And notice how they all bring honor and attention to God, okay? I know it's hot in here, so I want to frame this out quick so we can just enjoy Jesus. No standing army was allowed with a holy war. And that's why we look when you read the Bible, I want you to read through the Old Testament, always notice that you couldn't take a census many times. The reason why you couldn't take a census is because that's just, that dishonored God. For you to count and go, okay, um, I think Miss Lisa wants to beat me up. So what I got to do is I got to count my people and make sure I can fight her. Um, I got one, I got two. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're, you're doubting God. Don't count. You got God. You got to count. So, so taking a census was dishonorable to God because God is like, wait a minute. Why are you counting like you need to count? I'm God. Grab some people and get out there. So it was, it was, it was evil in God's sight to count. So you couldn't have a standing army. You couldn't have a group of people who were like, we're the army of God. No, no. You just make your pancakes and do life. And when we got a battle, I'll call you. That's what it was like. We don't want, no, we ain't, we ain't got no navy. That's what, that, in In God's mind, it was offensive, right? So this myth that battles are always fought by amateurs. In, in 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 antiquity, you're always fought by volunteers, by the people. <laughs> you just kicking it, watching Shark Tank. we, got, we gotta go to war, man. Right, right now, man. It's at the end, man. They are going get the you know they get the deal. I don't see first. You know, it's like no, we going to war. So, the the whole point was that that God wanted you, and He wanted the people of God to see, and He wanted the neighboring people, as they're always watching, to see that they always depended on God for success. There's a principle there, family. There's a principle there. No pay. There was no pay for soldiers, was permitted. It was, it was, it was, uh, the whole point there was uh, to model pure motives. I don't want you battling because you're gonna get paid a lot, right? I want you to battle because of the honor and attention that it brings to me. Um, There was no personal spoil or plunder could be taken, right? So, you know, you gather cats. Hey, man, you want to fight with us? If you fight with us, we're going to hook you up with some Rolexes. They got a lot of Rolexes over there. No, don't worry about what they got. Maybe don't have anything. This is about God's glory and honor. That's why you should be fighting. So they they, they looked and made sure that these were the motives of the people who would fight. (coughs) Excuse me. Holy war could be fought only for the conquest or defense of the promised land. That's a big one. But I just want to say what that does, that models obedience to God's agenda. The whole focus point there is that it's not about you. It's about God. Uh, Only Yahweh could call holy war to be launched. Right. So that is modeled the premise that God calls the shots. None of y'all tell me, well, I think we should. They don't like us. We need to have a holy war. Well, who are you? No, the prophet of God will let us know when God is calling the holy war. Um, Let's continue on. Solely through the prophet, that's verse 6, uh, could that divine call come from. And 7, Yahweh did the real fighting in holy war because the war was always his. So the reality of war. And I say the reality of war because he fights on the ground where our eyes see the fighting. But really, holy war is something about, there's something in the spiritual realm. And so really what God is doing, and I... And I I, I'm not going to go there with the Amalekites, but I really think there is a a, um, a parallelism between the Amalekites and what's going on with them and like sin and God's people. But I, And I'll just throw that out there like that now. I can't really defend that yet. I would love to defend that in a later time. But when God does a holy war, when God is fighting for you or me, he's fighting in a natural realm, but he's always, always fighting in the spiritual realm. Okay. And that's for you and me not to forget that there's a realm that we can't see. There's a spirit, there's a sphere that we don't, that we can't see, but that we are a part of when we become Christians. <sighs> holy war is a religious undertaking involving fasting, abstinence from sex and/or other forms of self denial. Which means uh, it's the concept that man, um, the framework that God is, that God is holy, right? That there's a holiness to this. Uh, that makes sense. Miles, war was not about national pride, but about holiness. And God was trying to clean out the people. Um, the violator of the rules of holy war became an enemy. That whole concept is that um, it just models the sense that you don't, you can't just choose. You, you have to choose. There's a decision here, which is a model of, hey, you can't just be in the middle. Well, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of Switzerland. No, bro, you either for God or you against God. And so God was trying to teach a lot, even the concept of come, going to holy war. So there's there's two more, and I got we got to keep rolling. I'm sorry, guys, that was a lot. Um, Just that God is gracious, the exceptions of mutations, if someone's jacked up, he won't send people maimed and all messed up to holy war. And so it shows a sense of his mercy. And then finally, which I think is awesome, that holy war was always decided rapidly and decisively. No one ever thought after holy war, who won this? Y'all, win, right. We still, people still arguing today, who won Vietnam? And everybody's like, no, when God goes to war, you're like, God won. There's no, there's no argument about that. So I just, that's just a painted picture. That's for you theological people who want to go back and do more research. Check out the concept of the holy war. Let's get back to the story. In verse 10, you got this battle ensuing. These guys are preparing. These slaves are getting ready. So then it says in verse 10, So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. You hear that, family? Do not miss that. So here they are. These, these slaves are fighting this, this army of people. Right? And then the leader goes up to a hill with a stick. All right? This is what's happening here. Or the, the three main leaders. And uh, her, you know, the, the theologians think the, the, word, well, the word her actually uh, translation means whitey. Uh, they think it means more like more the focus of purity, though. Not racially, y'all. So, um, uh, verse 11 says Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. All right. Couple things here. This, this, this. Understand, we have a fighting force of slaves. Listen to the picture. Fighting force of slaves. They possess minimal weapons, and their weapons were old. They are fighting what capable men. They, they, it, was high, it was hard for them to find capable people who could actually fight the battle. And now, and I love now. Now we miss this when we when we read it, but it's it's very plain. When, when he held up his hands, they always was winning. When he put his hands down, they started losing. What does that tell you? No, no, what does it tell you about the battle? Exit God out of this. What does it tell you about the battle in the flesh? Thank you. It tells you, but I want you to, know that. it tells you that in the flesh, in the natural eye, in the natural skill set, there is no way Israel could have won this battle. That soon as God was out the picture, immediately they start losing. Immediately, right? The principle here's a few principles, guys, in this text, and I'm going to get to the principles. Then we got want to get to the main point. I think a few principles is that I love the concept that we we our needs always they always outrun um, the resources we have in ourselves, right? Our needs, all our needs, our neediness. We don't. Ne- we never have enough resources actually for our neediness. And that's the beauty of our relationship with God: is you actually need God, right? You and I. We. It's, it's, that's the thing. Like when we tell people about Jesus and we and we walk and we share our faith. Like it's really not. I always say it's not a competition. Like we're not. It's, we're not a marketing genius group trying to get people to choose Jesus versus Newport's. You understand? That's not what Christians are doing. Sometimes we can go into evangelism thinking we're competing, but we, okay, so as it were, there's other things competing for, for God's glory, but God is not competing. He's already a king, whether in y'all we worship Him or not. So the, the beauty of that is that there's a clear need. People need God. We all, there's a need, and that's why we go out and we tell people about Jesus. And so our neediness, right? God, God has placed it in our humanity where, where, where our resources can never sustain our neediness. And that's why every person, as it were, needs God. And that's in this point here. You see the Amalekites are defeating these guys whenever God was out of the picture. And so I love that because I love sometimes we get tasks. We get many tasks in our life that are impossible. Some of us in this room right now have situations in their life right now. And I don't want to do too much allegory. But there are situations in your life right now where God is asking you to do something that seems a little unconventional. Where God is saying, I want you to take steps of faith here, right? And that's what I love about this passage here is you have that balance of sovereignty and you have that balance of man's responsibility at the same time. We see God showing up here in this text here, right? But we also see God is saying you have to do what you need to do and then God will do what he does. Now, now I know sometimes people will say things like, and I don't want to get caught, but, you know, hey, when God wants you to do something, he'll always provide the resource for you to do it. I'm like, yeah, kind of. I mean, sometimes you're going to, you know, I, I don't know. I don't even know how biblical that is, because what I see sometimes in the scriptures is that God do ask you to do something and you won't see the resources at all. You'd be like, well, how is that going to happen? And so I think the trickery in, that in the flesh, if you start thinking like that, okay, well, God will provide resources if he wants me to do something. Then where are you really stepping out in faith? If the resources have to be there for you to do it, where's the faith? Do you understand that? Now, I think they're both and. I think God, many times, he'll, he'll provide a resource and say, well, see, you prayed about this. You wonder if you should do this, and that is here. And therefore, A plus B, go ahead and do it. But sometimes God is like, I want you to take a step of faith. Do you not think that the Israelites didn't know that they probably should have gotten beat down? Do you, can you imagine? Have you, have you ever been in a fight where you knew you, you're squaring up against a bruh and you know this don't look good? I, well, I have. I mean, if, you, if you're in a scenario where you don't want to be a punk, you know what I'm saying? And a dude, the dude pulls your car, and you're squaring up, and in your mind you're thinking, Man, this dude about 2.30, 6.3. If he connect, it is over. It is over. Right? I mean, that's they're going into the battle thinking, Okay, Lord, with their little, you know, little old knife, butter knife. This way? You want to go this way? Okay. And God is like, yeah, go down there. And then you know what? Where's our leader? Where, where, where's our leader? This dude, where, he's up on the hill with a stick. The, the leader on the hill. And then you—I mean, can you imagine the, the, the? Just, just picture that. Just picture that in the history. You just—you're part of that group. They called you. They said, come on, let's go do this. What is God trying to show us here? So. In a natural realm, the Melchizedek is totally one. So those are principles. He's called you to step out in faith, to do real things. But I want to provide to you, and here's what, don't miss this. In the text here, what you say, what is God trying to teach me in the text here? God is trying to show you and me, and don't miss this. He's trying to show you that even when he asks you to step out in faith, and he asks, he's asking you to do real natural things, don't get it misconvoluted that the natural realm doesn't mix in with God's spiritual realm to bring about his glory. He works in tandem with his natural realm to bring about his glory. So I want us to not do that. Don't be platonic. That's Platonism, when you say the spirit realm's here and the human realm's here. And if I'm really serious about Jesus, all I do is live in a spirit realm. And I'm just, No, 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 there's a balance. That there's a spiritual realm, and God wants you to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, and He'll do miraculous things and supernatural things as we see right here. But as He's doing those things, He's operating also in a natural realm. And all of it brings them honor and praise and glory. When people see in the natural God moving in the supernatural. Do you understand that family? That's don't want us to mix. Don't, don't 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 they're not battling. They're not and sometimes he'll he'll be he'll overcompensate here he'll be like, I'm gonna just, just boom and do something supernatural. And there's not going to be a lot of natural realm to it. And sometimes, most of the time, as the scripture is going to be mostly in the natural realm. And he's going to be doing things to work about his honor and his praise. So don't miss that. And what he's trying to show you and me is that when we're working out our natural realm, we're taking those steps of faith, we're trying to start businesses, we're trying to go to school, we're trying to minister to our neighbors, we're doing all these, we're trying to raise our kids in a godly manner, we're doing all these things. He's trying to allow you to see that in the natural realm, while you're doing those things, that his power is the power that actually really counts, though. Do you hear that? That while you're doing all those things, you you go to law school, you get the degree, you want to serve in the community, you're neighboring well, and all those things are awesome. But in the midst of those natural things, God is still showing you, no, it is not your power. It's God's power that really counts. Isn't it a beautiful balance? that our God is that secure in himself that he says, I actually want to use your giftings. I want to use your personality. I want to use the things that you've created, the things I've revealed to you that have allowed you to, to, to work in tandem with me and create things and build things and do all these things. And I want, to, I want you to actually use those things to bring me honor. That takes a great, secure God. Right? Here's, here's his point. Those are the kind of principles I want to propose the point is this. This is God's battle. That's his point. That, that, that this, is, this is the Lord's battle. And that in our life, it's God's battle. And the reason why that, the reason why that matters is because of point two. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Here, here's the thing. I love the fact that they trusted God. And you know the main way they trusted God wasn't by like, go get him, God. They trusted God by fighting That's how they trusted God I'm going I'm to trust you Lord I'm going to get out there Right That's how they trusted God It's a beautiful story If he's trying to teach these guys Something deeply theological About his character That I'm with you No matter if you see me or not and, and Is that something we need to know? Is that something you and I need to know guys? And look what he's teaching Is about his sovereignty Look what, look what sovereignty is If you don't know the word sovereignty I just want to explain it and then a couple more things, we're going to head home, guys. All things, here's the sovereignty. All things are under God's rule and control. That's what sovereignty means. I use that word sovereignty. is that all things are under his rule and control. And so by his grace, he has allowed you to even be here because he's trying to remind you and woo you and say, I am I am your God. I have done these things in history. I know the world is telling you that it's weird for you to worship a dead dude, and, but he's not dead. He's risen. And that's the, that's the struggle as we were Christians. But God is, God wants to remind you in these, in these historical events that He's sovereign. All things are under His control and rule, and that nothing happens without His direction or permission. Right? God works not just some things, but all things according to the counsel of His will. But don't miss this. Here's what, so that's deism has some of those frameworks, right? Here's what is some, something that's distinctly Christian. Not merely that God has the power and right to govern all things, but that He does so. You hear that? That's distinctly, that's distinctly like Christian, that he does so always and without exception. We don't just believe that God can, right? That's deistic. We believe that God does. That's relational. That he intimately is in there working stuff out for his honor and glory. Now, the reason why, that's, the reason why that makes, that, that's very important um, It's because you and I, when we think of God's rule and way, we think of his sovereignty, him ruling and having say in our lives, we can sometimes feel like let go and let God, right? Well, if he's in total control, but the text is very clear, the text is very clear that man in his sovereignty, he is saying, I want to work with you to bring about my honor in glory verse 12 but Moses hands grew weary I love this so he's up they're winning hand grows weary so they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it while while Aaron and, and, and her held up his hands so imagine that guys they held up the hands one on one side and the other on the other side so his hands were steady until the going down the sun brother had his hands up all day this is in history all day and they were like, look, your hands, I thought I was, I can't, man, this is hard. We got to figure out how we we going to do this. And they started thinking about how to rig this thing. you know. And we don't know, the author doesn't tell us, does he, do they, does God whisper, grab a rock? Because we don't know. You know what I'm saying? We don't know if the Lord was like, look, I'm, I'm going to see how hard you want this. You know what I'm saying? What you going to do? You tired? You better, you better keep them hands up. You know, we don't know what God, what God did, right? But what we do know is God gave them the grace to be like, Okay, we get it. We, we figure out. And here's the whole, here's the whole point. So the, the staff was a reminder of God's presence with his people. The reason why they held the staff up, by the way, I, I shouldn't have missed this. They held the staff up because of the recognition that God, his sovereignty is over the situation. And so what it was, it was a symbol of you recognizing God is in total control and your neediness to need God in the situation. So as it were, for you to put the stick down, you were declaring, you got this. You see that? So to hold the staff up was to declare, God, you are over this, and we need you, and it's about your power and your glory. So it was a very serious deal. So staff, staff over here, in modeled superiority. That, that basically at the end of this victory, guess what? Who gets the glory? That's, man, that staff, God's presence gets the glory. He is the leader teaches us two things i put selah here because it's about pausing uh when you're reading a, a psalms you'll see this word selah or selah and uh, and it means to pause it means to ponder to think about and so when we when we're going through bible passages i want us to take these moments when god is trying to give us a the theological truth that helps us understand the passage to pause and be like what is god doing there meditate on that think about it he's saying right and the whole point, that guy, he wants his people to know, he wants you, he don't want you just to think, oh, I get that and go to the next thing. He said, I want you to think about this. Moses is not the reason for the victory. And look at, look how weak Moses is. Brother can't even keep his hands up. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love how he puts us in these scenarios just to show how drastically weak we are. He's like, not only is Moses, he's the leader. And a brother can't even keep his hands up. He's like, so you know he's not the reason for the victory. The other piece is that we need each other, and this is more of a principle. I, I, you know, I don't. I wouldn't say I just. There's, there's a reason. I mean, there's a lot that the author took out, but I'm amazed that the author wanted to make clear that the re, the way this battle was able to be won, other people had to get involved and help. There's just something about that. That, in essence, if 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 Moses would have been there by himself, him and God. It seems to me that God would have let them be defeated, according to the text, because his hands would have eventually dropped. It seems to me it's very interesting that, that I don't know if God told them, but it's interesting to me that before they even knew the concept of, oh, your hands are going to get weak and you're going to need us. It's interesting that they didn't let him go by himself. It's interesting to me that before any of that, they said, no, we, to a few of the homies, we're going to come with you. Do you see that? What does that mean about Christian community? What does that say about the people of God being together, caring for each other? We need each other. And what's interesting, I love it. They trusted God. We got another another aspect now. They trusted God how? By fighting. Guess what else? They trusted God by praying. You see that? I love the beautiful tandem. So we can't make them enemies. Beautiful friends to bring about honor and glory to Christ. It says here, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You see that? So he says, guess what? You, this, this thing that just happened, he says, he says, hey, Moses, I want you to start journaling, bruh. You know what? That's, that's how off the chain I am. I'm awesome. And you need a journal. You got to go to Barnes & Noble and get a journal because you got to write this stuff down. And he says, listen, and I love it. He says, I want, you to, I want you to write it down, right? And then he says, and I want you to keep whispering it in the ears of the future leader. You See that? Because y'all can't forget this. And see, in our lives, here's the thing, guys. This is this is one of the main reasons why we do our prayer time and we talk about the praise. Because isn't it interesting? Is it just me? Or we 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 all does Satan always help you and me, and our flesh help you and me always remember the bad stuff? Isn't it interesting how we remember the bad stuff in people? In scenarios, right? We, 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 we remember our failures, right? remember the things that we we when we fall short but how much do we remember man the the good things that you bring to the table the things that it's not to lift you up but it's it's to model the imago day that god wants you to focus on those things that are good and pleasing and hopeful right and we see him saying hey yeah y'all been tripping but remember remember what i've done here okay remember what happened here don't forget it Memorial." If there's a principle that you can remember here that God wants you and me to build memorials in our life so that when God does something, you will forget and you will put it on other things. He says, no, write it down so that you can remember. Get, build something. Have a trinket or something. You know what? Sometimes God puts intrinsic trinkets in us, you know, scars, something happens to you, surgery, so that as soon as you start thinking, man, you forget that, you know, you almost died. And you look at that scar and you're like, oh, God was good. Right? Or you remember you did something silly at the house and you, you know, and you hit a wall or something crazy. I don't even know. But then you look back and you remember God's mercy there. You know, family's still stuck with you. But God wants you to remember the good things he's doing in your journey so that you can be praising God, building thanksgiving, building a heart of worship. Look what it says here. He says this whole concept. I love this, and I, I, I want to I bring this up because this is important for us to understand the importance of God's glory. Look what he says here, guys. Don't miss this. That I will utterly blot out the Here's heaven. Here's the here, snapshot here. What Moses is, he's trying to make, make sure Moses understands, as you look at the context of the passage, and look at what he says throughout the verses, there's a theme here, God's glory, God's glory. And even here. See, he wants you to understand something. We are, we are I would say, <laughs> the penultimate. God is the ultimate. The, the world teaches you and me that we are the ultimate. And that's why Christianity, as it were, is such a bad taste in the mouth of people who want to be their own gods. Because the Bible unapologetically makes it clear that you and I are not all that. That's, that's, the, that's the theme of scripture. And even here, what's God's point? God's point is that guess what? Yes, I protected you, and I made sure I'm gonna block these guys out and I'm gonna take care of them. But guess the main reason why I'm doing it is actually not because of you. Isn't that humbling? But because of my glory. Because I'm so I'm so jealous for my glory that I that I, I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, and then what happens? Is we get to ride on the coattails of that, you know. Have you ever, you probably experienced that in your practical life for sure, right? Where you kind of get the benefits because of who you hang with, and they like you, but they ain't really doing it for you. They're doing it for them. You ever had that happen? You know, I mean, I mean, I remember being. I mean, I've had that happen with my brother. He used to play football professionally, and and I'll be with him, you know. And I'm the, you know, compared to my brother, I'm a little dude, and. You know what I'm saying, and so I, you know, so all these big football players. I remember even um, visiting him in West Virginia. You know, they were kind of like it's kind of mean, muggy, and not super respect you because you're not you're not an athlete, and they're kind of be kind of mean. You know, and then my brother would come in, you know, leading tackle on the team, linebacker, kind of crazy. You know, he would come in, and yeah, he loves me. I'm his brother, but I'm telling you, the reason why he would have these guys be quiet, the reason why he would make it clear, hey, that's my brother, and he's coming with me, and he can get free tickets and all this stuff. It wasn't just because I was his brother, but I, I, I'm perceiving to you. It was like, look, he with me. And so you better respect who's with me. You understand that? I remember Dr. Coleman when I was, um, I was traveling with Dr. Coleman, who's a very prominent author. And, and I loved it because, you know, my whole life, I didn't even know they had these other. Did you know they had those back rooms for people who have a lot of money and stuff where when you travel, there's another room you can go to. You don't have to sit out there with all the people and just be hot and wait for the plane. I know they got a hookup, they ain't tell me. Right? It's like VIP. You go in there and there's cookies and there's juice and there's big screen TVs everywhere and it's what's cooler, air conditioned. You know, they ain't tell a brother. Right? Well, I'm hanging with Dr. Coleman and you know what, I go use the bathroom and I'm like, oh my goodness, like where did Dr. Coleman go? You know, I'm used to the regular people seating, you know, I'm just hanging out and I'm looking. And then Dr. Coleman started looking for me. And I'm like, well, have you seen this guy? And the lady's like, well, I'm like, what's that over there? She said, well, so you can't go in there. You, I'm like, so, well, why not? Well, that's, that's you know, special people. In a, and all of a sudden, Dr. Coleman comes out. And he says, hey, Eric. Sorry, man, he's with me. I look at her like, ha-ha, I'm walking up in <laughs> What's up? I walk up in there, and it was like, you know, I mean, there's drinks and cookies. And you know what I'm talking about? It's crazy. Check it out, y'all. I'm telling y'all. it's a hookup. Check out the airports. So that's what, that, that, that analogy fails a little bit because God is way more gigantic than that. But let me tell you something what God does. God defeats armies. He brings, he, he, he protects us. He takes us and allows us to experience great delight in our life when we, when we obey and follow him. Right? He, he guides you and me to great bliss and joy throughout your life. But you know the rain reason why he does it? Not just so you can have an awesome life. The reason why he does it is because for his children to be treated like they have a good daddy speaks to the daddy. Do you hear that? See, right? If your daddy's good, and you go, man, no, my daddy's good. You go, man, you got a good daddy. How can I know? How can I be adopted? That's that's the gospel. The gospel is people see your daddy and they want to be adopted. Wow, your daddy takes care of you. He provides for you. He gives you wisdom and insight. You have peace. Your daddy doesn't give you anxiety, but he gives you peace. Your daddy gives you joy. Your daddy's kind. Your daddy's compassionate. He doesn't just heap all these coals of all the things you've done and who you're not, but he speaks to who you are in him. I want a daddy like that. And then we go. Oh, let me tell you, you don't have to. Pay. You don't. You don't have to go and jump through hoops. This daddy wants you. He's actually put me in your life to tell you he wants you to come home. He wants to be your daddy too. That's the good news. And that's what he's doing here. So it ends, it ends by saying, it, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. See, I'm praising God that God doesn't ask me just to write down the times that I suck, you know? You know? I'm very thankful for that. The Lord is my banner. Just as when we sing these songs, Mike uh, plays the songs. Uh, Jehovah Nisi, right? Um, it's, the, the, the actual term is my signal pole. Basically, the, the term is what was what it was. My pole, and it's a, it's a military term. Interesting because it was the military. We just we just laughed about the military for 20 minutes. It's a military term that says that points to. It's like when a military has a place, a pole, and, a, and they go to that place to get refuge and rest and refreshment and perspective change, and they run to that place. It's the signal place where they go to. And God is saying, that's who I am, right? It's a rally. It's a regrouping for instructions. And as it were, that's what not this a beautiful story of what even the local church does? That's what we do even as we gather together. We gather together in the signal pole, the ecclesia, the, co- the covenant community. We gather together, and we say, remind ourselves of who God is and who we are. And the scriptures read, say, verse 16, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Hear that here. He, he makes an altar, which is a sign of worship. And he builds a pole and says, Jehovah Nissi, right, the banner of the Lord. And the senses sense, is like, like of worship and thanksgiving. And I always propose to you and me, family of God, one of the main ingredients to what does it mean to live a, a vibrant Christian life and so you and I to build a diet where we are thankful people when we see God move in our life. So, what a crazy story. What is God doing in a nutshell? If you say, what, what are the takeaways? There's a lot of stuff. But I want you to leave with these two things. Look, he is jealous for his glory. If, if, the, if the Israelites are going, man, what was God trying to teach me through that battle? That God is just for his glory. That, that the center of that story is not Moses. It's not, it's not her. It's not, it's not the Amalekites. It's not the Israelites. It's God fighting for his people. That God is just for his glory. And that God wants to bless you, but so that you would say, man, God is good. So that God would be exalted. And finally, sovereign. God's people are not the ultimate. He is the ultimate. Hey, as we head home, just uh, just know, you say, well, well, how does this affect my life, Eric? Give me some practical things. I'm proposing this is good news to all who fear God. This is good news. And I, I want to ask the question, how does this not affect your life? If, if this is true, every of your life, you should be thinking, okay, well, I'm going, I'm going to be a training to be a principal. I'm about to have another kid. Based on these principles, what is, what is God doing? What is he trying to shape in me? What is, he, what is God trying to say to me? I'm purchasing in a house. I'm, I'm working in a startup. Like, what is God trying to say to me as I trust him, as, I, as I'm called to do what he wants me to do, but yet God's going to do what he does? Like, what does God ask me to do to be in med school and, and building my house? What does God ask me to do as I'm in full-time, I'm a full-time lawyer, and I'm working full-time as well? Like, what is God, what is God trying to say here? What is God saying to me as I'm, as I'm, a, I'm a full-time mom working hard and, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what does it mean to, to give my kids the gospel? What is God trying to say to me here? What is he saying when I'm a community leader? What is he saying when I'm in school and I'm, I'm getting my master's and my PhD? What is he saying when I'm, I'm working as a carpenter? What, what is God trying to say to me here when I see his hand so clearly evident in the lives of his people? Here's what we're going to do, family. Think about it. Pause on it. We're going to take communion response. We pray your response will be worship, that you'll be encouraged, the message of hope, that we see that battle he fought and he won, that you will go into your life and say, man, Lord, thank you for giving me that historical reality of how you work and how you serve your people. May I remember that as I move this week, moment by moment. That's what I love about the word. He's going to give you opportunities to apply that in probably 10 minutes. And he's going to give you another opportunity in 12 minutes. He's going to give you another opportunity in 17 minutes. He's going to give you another opportunity in 25 minutes. And you're going to be able to apply what we saw in the scriptures all throughout the week. My prayer is that God will remind us he truly is a banner of the Lord. Uh, If you're new here, what we do is we take uh, in response.